You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. I'll be reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. This is God's word. Good morning, Holy Cross, and uh, welcome to everyone joining us at home for home worship this Sunday. And if you're with us from Holy Cross kids and and families with uh, kids in those age ranges, I want to bring your attention to uh, your lesson for today uh, found on the home worship resources, because your teaching uh, today and your Bible story lines up really great with today's sermon. And so if you're joining us, or if you're looking for some supplemental uh, Bible stories or some lessons uh, for home worship, uh, hop online to our home resources page, our home worship resources, and uh, take a few minutes, uh, parents, and walk through that lesson. Uh, It lines up really great as a supplement to uh, today's sermon. And uh, today's sermon, uh, we're in Mark chapter 2, and it's a really famous story. It's a really famous passage. Uh, It's right up there with other well-known New Testament stories as it relates to Jesus. Right up there with him walking on water and the feeding of the 5,000. Here we have the paralyzed man healed of his physical disability, forgiven of his sins, all after his four friends uh, rip the roof off of a building where Jesus is, lower him down, and he is there healed. It's amazing. It's an amazing story, and no one has ever ripped off the roof uh, while I was ever teaching or preaching. This is incredible what has happened. And often this passage is preached uh, with an application point of uh, friendship, being a good friend or even about evangelism. You know, uh, be a good friend, do whatever it takes to introduce your friends uh, to Jesus, even if it means extreme measures. And friendship and love for non-Christians and evangelism is, is displayed in this passage, but it's not the focus. And what takes center stage in this passage is, is clear, and it's this. The most important thing in your life and in my life is that you and I have a right relationship with God. This is the most important thing. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that a right relationship with God is the only thing important in our life. Um, I'm saying it's the most important thing. Your career is important. Your family is important. Your body is important. Your physical health is important. But it's 
never the most important. And Jesus shows us that clearly with this story, that there are more important things, our relationship with God being the most important thing. Um, How does he do this? Well, he shows us that a right relationship with God is the most important thing by uh, what he says, uh, by what he perceives, and by what he commands. So let's walk through this. This is going to be really fun as we walk through this passage. Let's see how Jesus shows us that the most important thing in our life is a right relationship with God. First, through what he says. Mark walks us through uh, what happens in this story. Jesus is teaching literally to a packed house. Uh, It's standing room only. Four friends bring their their paralyzed friend trying to get into the house to get close to Jesus. They can't get through. That's how packed it is. They go up to the roof of the home. They begin to rip uh, the roof off and rip a hole in the roof above where Jesus is standing. They lower the man through the hole into the roof. Jesus looks up at this man, and here is what Jesus says. My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why would he say that. I mean, it's a great thing to hear. It's a great thing to say. But do you think that that's what they actually came looking for? People came from all over Jerusalem, uh, probably for different reasons to see Jesus. Some to hear him teach and maybe had heard stories of his great authoritative teaching. Some to be healed and some just out of curiosity because nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. And people, crowds are starting to come to Jesus. Don't you expect this man to say, well, thank you for forgiving my sins, but I really have a a, a more pressing issue here. My friends ripped the roof off of the building to get to you, uh, not to give me some spiritual encouragement, but because I'm looking to be physically healed. But he actually doesn't have a more pressing issue. That's what Jesus wants to show us. As difficult as his physical suffering has been, Jesus is saying that this man's main problem in his life is not a physical problem, it's a spiritual problem. The the main problem in his life is sin, not physical disability. The most important thing that Jesus can give this man is not healing of his physical struggle. The most important thing is to have a right relationship with God. Not a right relationship with his body or with his work or with his friends or with his family or even with creation or his spouse, but a right relationship with God. Because that's what sin ultimately destroys. That's what sin ultimately ruins. It ultimately ruins our relationship with God. Let's think briefly about sin and and what it is and why uh, the forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God is the most important thing. You see, sin isn't just doing bad things. It's not just messing up. It's not just making mistakes. or It's not even just simply violating God's rules. Several years ago, I came across a definition of sin by theologian Cornelius Plantinga described in this way. Shalom, or peace, is God's designed plan for creation and redemption. Sin is blamable human vandalism of these great realities, and therefore an affront to their architect and builder. Think about this. You see, God hates sin. Why does he hate sin so bad? He hates it so much, not just because it violates his law, but because it breaks peace, it interferes with the, with the way that things are meant to be. It interferes with the way that things 
the way that God created things to be. Consider the Belgic Confession of Faith from the 16th century that describes it this way. Through sin, human beings have separated themselves from God, who is our true life, and have corrupted our entire nature. Sin ruins everything. It's not just doing bad things and actions or thinking bad thoughts. It is vandalism of the way that God created the world to work. The confession is meaning to tell us that sin is so bad, it's so destructive, it's so vile, that it's affected every emotion, every relationship, every tendency that we have, and it, for, it bends us towards a posture and disposition against God in everything that we do. Sin is our desire to live exactly the way that we desire to live without reference to how God has created us. In this way, sin is rebellion and nothing less than that. It's rebellion against God. We have bad tendencies. We have bad patterns. We have bad habits. We have a bad heart that we cannot break free from. Now, let's go back to this paralyzed man. He was a slave, for sure, to his physical limitations. He needed people to help him to go from one place to the next. He was held captive, though, to a greater kind of suffering, the suffering of sin. And that's why Jesus exposes this greatest problem that he has. By saying, my son, your sins are forgiven, even when this man didn't even ask for the forgiveness of sins, Jesus is saying, if you're coming to me only seeking physical healing, you're not going far enough. If you're coming only for a better life, you're not going deep enough. If you're coming only for answered prayers or a better job or a healthier marriage or more well-obedient um, uh, children, you're not going deep enough. If you're coming only for physical well-being and protection, you're not going deep enough. This man came for physical wholeness, but what he got was far better. He got spiritual wholeness. He got forgiveness of his sins. And this physical healing that happens after this, this blessing of, of Jesus' grace to forgive his sins, this great act of mercy, the physical healing is, is only what we learned. It's only a way for Jesus to back up his claim that he has the authority to forgive sins, which only God has the authority to do. He does this to back up the claim that he is uniquely able to give us the one thing that we need most, the forgiveness of God for our sins. This is what he says. Now look at what he perceives. What he perceives, what Jesus says, your son, son, your sins are forgiven. He really opens up a storm of controversy among the religious rulers that have gathered there. They become angry, they become furious. Uh, all of this in their hearts that Jesus perceives. He perceives these things. Look again at, at verse 6, uh, what, what was read in verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, here it is, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Jesus can read their motives. He can read their hearts. He could read the hearts of everyone in the room. 
And the religious leaders are shocked and angry because Jesus is claiming to do something that only God has the authority to do. Jesus is claiming divine power, divine authority, divine identity. He's claiming to be God. Jesus knows what they're thinking. Jesus knows what you're thinking. He knows what I am thinking. At any moment, he is able to discern our hearts. Think about this. Why would Jesus offer forgiveness to this man, coming, obviously, to seek physical healing? Why would he offer this to a man who didn't even ask for it? To perceive here means to gain full knowledge, to become fully aware. When Jesus saw the paralyzed man being lowered down in front of him, he must have been able to discern something in this man's deepest longings. Just as he was able to read the hearts of every person in the room, he must have been able to read the heart of this paralyzed man that no one else had privilege to see. And as much as this man wanted to walk, he must have wanted something much more deep down in his heart that only Jesus could perceive. He had a longing to be made whole, a longing to be restored, not just physically, but in his whole person, a desire for forgiveness and hope. And he knew that Jesus was the kind of person that could give it to him. Someone that could take away not only his physical pain, but his spiritual pain as well. The man must have had a longing in his heart that he wasn't able to fully articulate, for sure not able to articulate to us or to the gospel writers, but a longing that Jesus alone could perceive. Enough that Jesus could see him. And enough faith that he could see in this man. And enough crying out in his heart for mercy and forgiveness. That Jesus would look at this man and say, My son, your sins are forgiven. I know what you really long for. I know what you really want. There's something deeper. There's something greater that you desire in this world than just to walk again. It is to be known by your creator and loved by your God and to be restored in your relationship with him because you are a sinner. This is what the man wanted. You see, at that moment, Jesus had the power and authority to give this man anything, anything at all. He could give him a healthy body. He could give him success. He could give him recognition and prestige. He could give him whatever he wanted to give him. But Jesus is not a genie in a lamp. He's not just a vending machine miracle worker. He is a savior. He is our savior, the savior. He is the one who lovingly exposes our deepest longings and our deepest fears. He shows us the one thing that we need most, but the one thing that we're incapable of getting ourselves. And it's him. Jesus has this ability, this, this tender and gentle and winsome power, this ability to look at us. We come to him for so many things. We come to him with our prayers and all of our needs and our laundry list of prayer requests. But Jesus is able to discern our hearts and say, I know what you really need. 
You desire rest in me. You desire acceptance from God. You desire peace from striving to save yourself. But we can't always articulate exactly what we need, but he knows our hearts. He knows that we genuinely desire to know him, to be loved by him, to find our rest in him. You know, this isn't the only time that we see uh, instances in the Gospels of Jesus healing the sick or healing the disabled or healing the, the suffering. Uh, he does it quite a bit in the Gospels. And as I look at each of them, I see this repeated trend and plot line that we see in all the times that people are healed. There's always two groups of people, and we could describe them as the group of the haves and the have-nots. The haves, right? They're the people that have it all together. They're maybe uh, the, the, the healthy, the successful, uh, the socially uh, prestigious or well-off. Uh, they're the ones in society that are able to, in the culture's terms, able to contribute a lot to the welfare of others. And then there's the, the, the have-nots, right? They're the outcasts, they're the sick, they're the leper, they're the poor, they're the lonely, they're the forgotten, they're the widow. They're the ones that have, uh, that, are, that have no friends. They're the ones that can't get in. And Mark goes out of his way to tell us how packed this house was. I mean, several times he wants us to know. I want you to know there's two groups here. There's the haves and the have-nots. There's those who are close to Jesus, who made it into that coveted inner circle of hearing him teach. And then there's others on the outside. There's this man. And he is a have-not in so many ways. He, if there's anyone who has FOMO, right, fear of missing out, there's this man. He can't get in the group. He's outside socially. He's outside physically. We know that he's outside spiritually. No one wants to be on the outside. And this man has all the disadvantages. And Jesus shows us something counterintuitive. As he perceives the heart of the religious leaders and perceives the heart of the religious man, he shows us that the Christian life is not about what we have, but it's about what we have not. Let me explain. In our culture, the very thing that we are trying to avoid is helplessness, weakness, dependency on others, and so we live a life of self-sufficiency, self-will, self-power, independence. If anything needs to be done, then I'm the one that should be able to get it. And yet it is, it's all of these things, helplessness and dependency and have not. It's all these things that actually make the gospel work. These are all the things that actually make the Christianity work. The very thing that, that we strive for in our life, to be somebody on our own, is the very things that make us actually alienated from the kingdom of God and alienated from the relationship with Jesus. Don't you see? The ones who had the most natural access to Jesus were the ones farthest away from truly knowing him. But the one who was ready to be needy for him, the one who knew his own neediness, the one who knew his own weakness and disability in his heart, was made whole. 
Jesus takes the haves and exposes how little they actually have. And he takes the have-nots and he shows them how rich they are in his grace. Helplessness is what makes Christianity work. Helplessness, helplessness is what makes the gospel work. And Jesus is so eager to help. He is so eager to love us. He's so eager to forgive us. He perceives the, the slightest bit of faith in Jesus, in his own ability, in, these, in the man's, um, <clears throat> these men and, and their understanding of what Jesus could give to them. And he heals them on the spot. He jumps to the occasion. He jumps to the opportunity after seeing the slightest bit of faith. Do you see his compassion? Do you see his care? Do you see Jesus giving this man a, a, a laundry list of things to do and to have and to acquire before he m- must come to him? Now we see Jesus ready to dispense the riches of his grace to the most hopeless and weak and needy person. Do you see how ready Jesus is to give his own life? To make us right with God? You realize that's what's happening here, don't you? Look back at this scene in in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is able, again, remember, he's able to discern and perceive and know fully the hearts and intentions of every person in the room. And he knows that these religious leaders, anger is building up in their hearts that will eventually culminate in their desire to murder him. He knows what the religious leaders are thinking. And they say, no one can forgive sins but God. And they accuse him of blasphemy, which is punishable by death. And Jesus doesn't accidentally offend them here. In doing this miracle, Jesus, do you see what he's doing? He is setting himself irrevocably on a path to his own crucifixion. He says, you can't do that, only God can do that. And this is Jesus' opportunity to say, you misunderstood. I take that back. Please don't hate me. This is his chance to say that and to walk back his claims. But he doesn't. He digs deeper. He says, you're right, only God can forgive sins. But which is easier to do? Which is harder to do? Tell this man that he's forgiven or tell him to get up and walk. To show you that I do have the power to do the only thing that God has the power to do, I'm going to tell this man to get up and walk. Jesus is writing his own death warrant. Do you see how ready Jesus is to go to the cross and to die for your sins so that you would be forgiven? Do you see how he steps into this life He owns this. He does it. He's ready to do it. He's ready to show compassion to you. Why don't you trust him more? Why don't you rest in him more? The most important thing in your life is to have a right relationship with Jesus. And he is ready to forgive. And it doesn't come from doing things or being the right person but entrusting in his ability and power to give it to us. To go to the cross in our place, to be a substitute for our sins. He takes our sins. 
He gives us his righteousness, his right standing with God. He gives that to us by taking our sin on the cross. He delights in proclaiming that this man's sins are forgiven, knowing full well by what means this will be accomplished. By the means of his own life. Finally, what does he command? We've been looking in this series in the commands of Jesus and what he says. Now, if you look closely, there are three commands. Three commands that he gives. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, I actually want to focus on this final point, on the one command maybe that's least likely to talk about. And that's the command, go home. Go home. Why? Why does Jesus tell him to go home? Jesus alone has the unique ability to give the one thing that we need most and the one thing that we can't get ourselves. Why does he want this man to leave? I mean, think about it. The whole entire town has come to this house, so much so that a man can't even get through it, the crowd. The entryway is so blocked. Everybody wants to be with Jesus. Why does Jesus tell this man to leave? And here's why. Because he got everything that he needed. This man didn't need to stay because there's nothing better that he could have received. Everything that could happen that day in that house would be secondary and a lesser good than the good that he already received. It is as if Jesus is saying, I know why you came. And now that you have it, you have everything. You can go. What you were seeking for, you have found. What you're longing for has been satisfied. Has Jesus forgiven your sins? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And has forgiven your sins? Do you believe that he has therefore restored your relationship with God? And he loves you? Then listen carefully. In this life, there is no greater condition that you can find yourself in than that condition. There is nothing better in this life that can happen to you than having your sins forgiven. But we don't live like that is true, do we? We might believe that we are forgiven, but we still feel shame. We still feel condemnation for our sins. We feel inadequate in our life. We still feel prone to have to prove ourselves to God and to others. We feel like we have to control our life and everyone in our life. We still feel we have to defend ourselves to others who disprove of us. We feel paralyzed by fear, not knowing what is going to happen tomorrow. And when we live like that, we are saying, thank you for forgiving my sins, Jesus, but there's much more that I'm looking for. There's, many, there's more important things that I need to give me rest. And Jesus is saying, no, there's not. Go home. You got what you're looking for. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. In other words, you're free. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. 
you can stop searching. You can stop striving to pretend. You can stop performing so that Jesus will somehow like you more. You can stop working to save yourself. You can stop working to control your life. You can stop working to prove yourself. You can begin to rest in his forgiveness and do what? Enjoy a life of wholeness before Jesus. Live a life of peace knowing that the one thing that you need most, you have. Go in peace. Go home and live your life resting in the love of Jesus for you. Your sins are forgiven.